Great, here we go. So, uh, this week I had a bit of a revelation about reading the Bible. And I realised that when I read the Bible and I read about Jesus' um, encounters with people, I almost always put myself in the position of the person that's talking to Jesus. Um, But I realised that all throughout the Gospels, Jesus is calling us to be like him. He says things like, Whoever believes in me will do works um, I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father, and I will do whatever you ask in my name. That's John 14, 12 and 13. And he says something like, um, All authority in heaven and and on earth um, has been given to me, and I will always be with you by the Spirit. So go and make disciples everywhere, teaching them to be obedient to all the ways I have led you. Matthew 28, 16 to 20-ish. And he also says, Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another, so that by this love, everyone will know that you are my disciples. And so I figure that if Jesus is calling me to be like him, which he is, maybe another way for me to read the Gospels is to imagine acting the way that Jesus did. To go around doing the things that Jesus did. To follow him by following in his ways. To read the Gospels as if I'm in Jesus' shoes. So I've actually invented a a brand. Um, I'm calling it WWJD. It stands for What Would Jesus Do? And I've prepared some wristbands and some pencils, which you can write on the back, and you can relive um, the early 2000s. But yeah, I know this this may be basic. Like Maybe everybody else is on top of this, but it struck me as powerful um, that to read the Gospels, um, both as myself being the person that approaches Jesus and as Jesus encountering others, like I am Jesus encountering others, um, is kind of powerful. So that's how we're going to look at the scripture tonight. First, we're going to look at how others encountered Jesus um, and what's good for us to learn there. And then we're going to look at how Jesus encountered others and how we can learn from Jesus. Cool? Very good. So all throughout scriptures, we have stories of Jesus engaging people in conversation and people coming up, busting up to Jesus and kind of demanding his time and and attention. And all the stories of people actually approaching Jesus are people that come to Jesus in their need. Um, They need physical healing, or as we saw a few weeks ago, they have these burning questions which lead them to get out of bed in the middle of the night and go and see Jesus and have a conversation. They might come on behalf of others. Maybe um, they're able-bodied and they're approaching Jesus because they have a friend or a family member that's at home sick. And they're saying, Jesus, come with me um, to my house and and heal this person. Or maybe they're just like a really great friend and they're carrying their mate on a mat and then like making a hole in the roof and then like lowering their friend in. Um, People approach Jesus in their desperation and in their need. We see this all throughout scriptures. Um, Yeah, this desperation that draws people in. But always in these encounters, whenever Jesus encounters these people, they get more than what they bargained for. Um, Whenever he heals people, he doesn't just restore them physically, he restores them relationally. Jesus reconciles people to God that the healing they experience may be for them a way to know the love of the Father made flesh in Jesus. The healings of Jesus are always pointing back to this relationship with the Father through him, to point to the kingdom. But also, there's this kind of, um, so there's this sort of, what is this, horizontal? Horizontal 
Vertical. Good. This is vertical relational reconciliation, but there's also this horizontal one where um, people are restored to the community around them. For the blind and the beggars and the ill and the outcasts, Jesus often invites a way for them to be restored to relationship with the people around them. And he does this by challenging the perceptions both of the person that's come to him with the need, but also the other people that are, that are there, be that their family or their friends, Jesus' disciples, or just the crowd. Jesus got himself killed because he showed that people were loved by God and that in Christ there was no one who was not worthy of healing, no one who could fall so far that they couldn't be restored to God. And this is exactly what we're going to see in today's passage. Two desperate people approaching Jesus and Jesus challenging them and the crowds around them about who could be reconciled to God. So I'm kind of going to do the spoiler alert thing where I talk about the passage and then we read it. But I want to do that so that you guys are like really listening and noticing the things as we read it. Um, so in today's scripture, we have it's the story of Jairus and um, the bleeding woman. For those of you who part of seasonal guide groups and we're reading that this week you'll know that um yeah and we have this, this guy a powerful religious leader um who comes to jesus appealing to him on behalf of his ill daughter um, this guy is right at the center of jewish jewish society he's wealthy he's respected um he's effectively like a manager of the synagogue and jesus agrees to go along with them to his house and to visit his sick daughter But along the way, um, they meet another person, a nameless, destitute, socially shunned woman um, with a severe ongoing medical condition. Um, And this woman woman is healed in her encounter with Jesus. She is restored not just um, physically but relationally in that moment to God and to the community of people around her. Um, so at the same moment when this woman is healed, um, some mates of Jairus come along um, and tell him his daughter has died. Um, but in that moment, Jesus extols him to say, believe, um, just as this woman um, from the margins who nobody would back <laughs> in that day and age, um, he says to this respected guy, um, believe like this woman believes. And there's this beautiful... Um, I guess, flipping that goes on there relationally and about who kind of can learn from who. Yeah. And then so um, they get along to Jairus' house and um, Jesus heals his sick daughter. So as I said, a bit of a spoiler alert, but I'll get Anna to read now um, and I just ask you to really pay attention as she reads and kind of notice those things I just was sharing about. So maybe I'll give you the microphone. (coughs) Oh, yeah, true. Jokes. Um, It is in Mark 5 from verse 21. Is this one of those microphone situations where it can't go in front of the fold bags? Where I'm going to be deafened by... I can just walk it from here. Okay. 521, is it? Yas. Okay. I feel like this is usually my favourite piece of scripture, so... When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered round him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue rulers, named Jairus, came there. Seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet and pleaded earnestly with him, 
My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak, because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you, you can ask, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and, trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some men came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Ignoring what they said, Jesus told the synagogue ruler, Don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue ruler, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, Why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha, kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and walked around. At, the, at this they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. Awesome. Thanks, Anna. So scholars reckon that the woman in the story was bleeding from down there for 12 years, which is effectively either, they think, having your period for 12 years or bleeding from your butt from over a decade. So either way, just horrible. So bad. Um, but like, if that was happening today, that would be really awful. But it was even worse back in those days. Um, in Jewish custom, women um, were considered unclean when they had their period or when they gave birth. And it was such a highly patriarchal society that if you gave birth to a daughter, you were considered to be unclean for longer than if you gave birth to a son. Um, oosh. So yeah, during those times, you were like kept away from the bulk of society because you were ritually unclean. Um, and so if you touched anybody, they would become unclean. It was believed that just like touching, even um, like if I touched the stand and then someone else touched the stand, then they would become unclean because we touched the same object. So it was like, no, really separate. And being clean um, mattered because it affected your standing before God and your relationship with God. So um, this was like a really big deal for people. And some of you guys might know this, you might have Jewish friends um, and things, but I um, kind of came to learn about this a bit more a few years ago. I was living in England and I had a Jewish flatmate, and um, he was kind of chill about a lot of these things. But his girlfriend took um, purity law like quite seriously, and she was coming to visit. And um, so I remember he went out and bought a whole new set of um, pots and pans and crockery and cutlery and glasses because all the stuff that we had was um, unclean and. She needed a whole new set of those things. Um, yeah, and it was just <laughs> it was just a really interesting insight into um, the way she lived her life to be clean and in good standing before God. But it was so like burdensome, and yeah, it was 
really enlightening to me. Um, and so that just kind of gives a little bit of an insight into how big a deal it is for this woman to be in the crowd. Um, she, it, it was a really big deal for her to be there. She was breaking customary law and the crowd would have been horrified to have found out that she was there. People were touching her and she was making everybody ritually unclean. Um, and likewise, for her to go up and touch a rabbi, they would have expected that her uncleanness would have tainted Jesus. Um, but that is not what we see here. Instead, the opposite happens. The wholeness of Jesus restores the woman. Jesus is not afraid of her touch, and he's not harsh with her um, for her actions. Quite the opposite. He praises her for her bold and humble faith. So what is important here? As I said earlier, I want to um, take this from two angles. First, um, about the people approaching Jesus. So Anna read that um, Jairus comes and he throws himself at Jesus' feet um, and he earnest, earnestly pleads with him. The woman comes and kind of tenaciously lays claim to like the possibility of healing and Jesus draws her out from the crowd um, and she comes before his feet and just tells him the whole story with the crowd around. And I think that there's a vulnerability that both these people portray. They are desperate. They really have nothing to lose. And because of that, they are willing to show their most raw needs to Jesus. They kind of show us that it's okay to have needs before God. And one thing I totally see is occurring again and again in Scripture is that Jesus never turns away the humble. Jesus doesn't backhand this woman or lose his rag at her, but he sees her humility and has compassion for her need. And he doesn't turn us away when we come with our needs either. There's this um, kind of boldness in, in the way that they come with humility. And it's not a kind of false kiss your ass humility or that kind of New Zealand humility where you're like, oh yeah, how much study did you do for the test? Oh, like hardly any, eh? And like everyone's kind of playing themselves down. It's not that kind of humility. Um, these people approach, um, yeah, with enough kind of boldness and tenacity to actually lay claim to Jesus' time. They, they say, I matter enough to, to come to Jesus and, and I'm desperate enough to come to Jesus. And this woman, as I said, she's a lawbreaker. She um, has got herself down into the crowd and sought out Jesus, running the risk of being recognised by the people and getting into all sorts of trouble. And, yeah, I think that the three things that we can kind of learn from the way these people interact, I mean, there's the woman and then there's um, the way that Jesus extols her, her faith and says, Jairus, believe like this woman. Um, is to come to Jesus with humility and with boldness and with curious belief. Enough, just a little, little bit of belief um, at the possibility of what God could do with us and in us. To come to Jesus with boldness, with humility and with curious belief. I love um, the tenacity of this lady and of Jairus too. Um, yeah, this kind of hopeful, humble desperation um, that's bold all at the same time. So that's the first perspective I want to bring, how we approach Jesus. But secondly, um, as I said earlier, approaching the story of um, as if we're in the shoes of Jesus. We see that Jesus' desire is, as I said, to restore people physically and relationally. 
The woman is healed and Jesus seeks out her story. He seeks her out from the crowd. And part of that healing is to um, retell her whole story by saying, daughter. He's not saying, hey, excluded, gross, unclean lady. He's saying, daughter, um, you are part of God's family. He honours her and brings her back in. He says, be at peace. You are no longer excluded. Jesus challenges the Jewish purity laws and the systems um, that the people have had in place to kind of say um, who's in and who's out with God. Um, And instead he says the power of God is living and it's healing and it's compassionate and it longs to bring restoration to relationship. God's desire to be in relationship with us is about to triumph over the law and I am here to present that. This is my kingdom. For me, um, reading the scriptures again and again, the way that Jesus interacts with women, I think, is an insight into the kind of kingdom he's establishing. The way he interacts with lots of people, but yeah, women were having a pretty dumb time back in that day. Um, yeah, and Jesus praises this woman's faith, which I think is pretty beautiful. Mm. Where am I on this? Oh, yeah. So I think that What we can read from this is that Jesus doesn't have any favourites. His love is for all people. Um, But in the stories we get told in the Gospels, he does have a bias of love for the outcast and for the poor and for the lost. And I believe there's an invitation for us, um, something that God would invite us into, is if we want to be like Jesus, which Jesus is saying, come be like me, um, yeah, there's maybe a challenge for how we read the Gospels and what we expect um, we will do and how we will live. So if I read this story um, with this challenge in mind, with this call to be like Jesus in mind, um, I've got to be willing to believe that um, I can go and pray and God's power can move um, through me and heal someone. To be drawn into the houses of strangers um, and to heal people and spend time with them and confront um, yeah, the pain that they're experiencing and meet them in their need. To be patient enough to be interrupted when you're on the way somewhere. That's a big one. Um, to see those who are socially isolated or shunned um, and to recognise their identity as children of God. To act with compassion and to be in solidarity with them saying, others might recoil at your touch, but I say this, God desires to be at peace with you You are a child of God. You are part of the family of God. To not just see someone, but to be willing to spend the time to hear their story and to speak God's truth into it. To recognise that the lowly in society, as Jesus recognised again and again, the poor, the sick, the children, the women, those shunned, the destitute have this wisdom about God that people in positions of power can learn from. To encourage and extol people to believe, to have hope, even when, um, I don't know if you guys noticed, um, Jesus says, daughter, your faith has healed you, be at peace. And immediately at the same time, some other people come up and say, um, hey Jairus, your daughter's died. So it's like, daughter, have life, and then like, your daughter's dead. And Jesus says, don't listen to them, Jairus. Have faith like this woman, believe. Um, Yeah, and for us to encourage and extol people to believe and to have hope. Um, and to trust in God, even when the cards are down.
This is who Jesus is and this is who we are called to be in becoming like Christ. Yeah, so I've been challenged quite a bit over the last few months um, kind of thinking about where it is that my um, life as a Christian kind of begins and ends and where it is that God meets me in that. How do these two things kind of fuse in daily experience? So, for example, I could pray to God that my friend might come to know Jesus and then think, oh, yeah, it's God's role to introduce himself to her. Like, yeah, I've already prayed for that. But actually, maybe it's my role to introduce them. And I can pray for God to heal someone and be like, oh, maybe God, if you want to please possibly heal this person, um, that would be nice. But instead, maybe I'm called to to go and, like, let the power of God be through me and, and, I don't know, just have boldness. So yeah, been challenged around a few things with that. And um, there's this book that I've been reading that has uh, provoked a few thoughts around this um, by this guy called Jordan Singh. Um, I really love the way he talks about these things. And it's called Miracle Work, Our Down-to-Earth Guide to Supernatural Ministries. I'm just going to read you guys a quote because I think it kind of shows the way we think some stuff is the stuff we do and some stuff is the stuff God does. But how, yeah, maybe we, we need to be challenged about that. So um, here it is. Though it might seem that preaching is human and healing is divine, the truth is that each is a combination. God empowers it, we employ it. I think that's kind of the key thing. God empowers it, we employ it. Apart from God, I have no power to heal anyone or anything. But apart from God, I have no power to preach well either. So if we're able to call ourselves preachers and leaders, we should be able to think of ourselves as healers and deliverers and prophets. So tonight, there's a few ways that I would invite you to respond. Maybe there are some people here um, that can relate to the story of Jairus and the woman um, who feel desperate for Jesus to do something in your life. And I would say, take heart. You can approach with boldness and you will not be turned away. Or maybe there's some of you here um, that have been like struggling with something and you kind of haven't quite got to the point of being desperate enough to bring it to God. You're kind of like, no, God, this is still good. Um, but I would say, like, God knows. And um, I think Jesus would invite you to come with honesty and with humility and for you to know that you won't be turned away. You won't be scorned for not having it all together. Or maybe you're here tonight and you've been following Jesus for a while and it's a challenge to think, man, if I want to become more like Jesus and to operate more um, in his power and with his love and compassion, I need God's help to do that. I need um, the empowering of God to be able to employ the life that God would call me to. Um, I would say come with humility and boldness and belief to Jesus um, that he would do that would enable that work in you. There's this um, quote by um, this Spanish mystic, Spanish mystic, so epic, um, Teresa of Avila, um, where it says, Christ has no body now but yours, no hands, no feet on earth but yours. Yours are the eyes through which he looks with compassion on the world. Yours are the feet with which he walks to do good. Yours are the hands through which he blesses all the world. 
Yours are the hands, yours are the feet, yours are the eyes, you are his body. Christ has no body now on earth but yours. So I just um, invite the musos up to come and prepare to lead us in worship. Um, for the rest of us, maybe we'll just take a few moments to let those words sink in, and I'll pray for us.